Welcome to the First Read Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, where we break down Bendis' iconic run on Ultimate Spider-Man, issues 1 through 160 in Earth 1610. I'm Zach. I'm John. Good evening, Webheads and Zach. Good evening, indeed. We're doing a weeknight pod, so we gotta really bring the juice. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I am, too. I'm excited. So, you were coming in hot with something? I was. And maybe the listeners will even hear you talk about it if you don't edit that out before we before we got started. But Zach and I were talking about the Avengers Endgame scene for some reason where they all jumped through the portals. And I think you had some problems with it. So maybe it's you that was coming in hot. I was just defending. So I love the scene. It's a hype scene. I just wish <laughs> like some of those characters ha- had been in the movie more like maybe they could have brought them back sooner or something because it just feels a little disingenuous when like you've got 50 people's names on the poster or whatever and you're excited to see all of your heroes together and you get like just the it, again, it's a really cool battle, but you just get that one last battle with it. Yeah. And what I particularly don't like in hindsight, there's no way they would have known this ahead of time, but in hindsight that that's the last we see of, um, Chadwick Boseman, who Ch- Zach had just said his name. Yeah. Like two minutes ago. The last we see of Chadwick Boseman playing the black Panther. I, a hundred percent get that. But the reason Zach said this and I started to come in hot a little bit afterwards. And that's when I was like, okay, just start the pod and let's get into it. But it's because I have specifically watched that scene before and thought to myself, <laughs> gosh, they do such a good job of having all of these different people who just came back and giving them all like a moment of like great, characterizing i think and black panther as i was sitting here talked about it actually has two i think because one he leads them all out of the portals, yeah that's that's pretty cool. good yeah that's very dignified and then the other one is he in civil war he talks about not caring who about clint's name and then in this one he is like clint give me the gauntlet or something so it's like, oh, you know, this Black Panther learned to he, he does care about all these people, you know. So I but I but I also I mean, who I would also love to see Chadwick Boseman more and more Black Panther stuff. So, yes, um, that just reminded me that you told me one time you were like taking a tour in Georgia where they film all the Marvel movies. Yes. And that someone pointed it out to you and like, oh, yeah we think that that's supposed to be King T'Challa's grave in the new black Panther. It hadn't come out yet. And they were like, Oh, this tree with all these like purple flowers underneath it. We think that's supposed to be his grave, but we don't know. When I watched that movie with Shyla, I saw that tree and it didn't end up being his grave, but But I saw that tree and I was like, John was there. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe we haven't, I haven't thought to talk about this on the podcast before, but yeah, my sister and I did go and stay at the Tony Stark cabin, uh, that he lived in during Avengers Endgame. And on that piece of property in Georgia, it's where they shoot like the Black Panthers Wakanda scenes along with 
um, like Avengers compound scenes and like the Avengers battles and things like that. And we got to see all of the cool ones. And for Black Panther 2, they were filming it. And that wasn't the that wasn't the grave site, but they that is where they were at, like mourning him, if you remember. And they go back there when the mother when the queen passes away as well. But it's not like their burial site. I know that. I just remember when you told me about it, the movie hadn't come out yet. And you said that's what people were speculating it was. Yeah. Well, there was like a mound and everything. Yeah, it's kind of race. I think maybe they did that like as specific like deception for people. Yeah. Like people exactly like you. (laughs) Like us. (laughs) Um, But that was pretty cool. And we did get some cool picks. Well, cool. Hmm, so do you have any more Avengers Endgame slander you want to throw on here? <laughs> no, I I that's my favorite Avengers movie. Like I'm I'm not a hater, I promise. Yeah. I think it I think it is also mine. <laughs> Maybe at some point we'll do like some sort of a ranking, if anyone would even care, of of all the Marvel movies, even though I know this is a Spider-Man comic podcast. Yeah. Maybe we can rank like- the Spider-Man movies at some point. Or all of them. Just throw it all in a bag. Just every superhero movie that's come out since like 95. (laughs) That sounds like something that we would have a lot of fun with and a lot of people would tune out for. So maybe we save it for like the next time we see each other in person. Yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) All right. What what are what are we on today? So we are in the second part of this six issue Green Goblin arc. Return of the Green Goblin. Uh, this is going to be issues 25, 26, and 27. And we will get into that right after a word from our sponsor. Every business says they're better. But the ones that earn and display the BBB seal back it up. It instantly identifies businesses that are committed to operating with integrity, honoring promises, and telling the truth. Makes you wonder why every business doesn't have it. So look for it, because it's looking out for you. That's why it's the sign of a better business. And find a better business anytime at bbb.org. And we're back. We're back. These three issues do have a lot to live up to, because the last three, I know we gave them some pretty good grades. Yeah, this this has been a solid arc so far. And yeah. just to recap what happened in that last episode, uh, Norman and Harry Osborne are back in town. Norman had Harry invite Peter to their apartment so Norman could tell Peter that he knows he's Spider-Man and to threaten him into working for Norman. And when Peter refused, Norman kidnapped Mary Jane as the Green Goblin and started leaping through the city with her. I'm ready. I am hooked. Issue 25, written by Brian Michael Bendis, pencils by Mark Bagley, inked by Art to Bear, colored by Transparency Digital, and lettered by Dave Sharp. We open on the Green Goblin carrying a screaming, crying Mary Jane as he scales a building. Spider-Man and Harry both watch in horror, and we get a flashback to 20 minutes earlier. Harry Osborne I'm going to stop us. I'm already going to stop us. I said in the last issue or last episode, one of those previous issues did this exact same thing where it was like 
it opened and then it was like 12 minutes ago and it walked us back up. And I talked about how I liked that. And when I saw it again in this one, I was kind of like, oh, they're they're going back to that same well. You know, this doesn't this isn't quite as nice when it's like every episode. Well, Did you feel that way at all? No, I think it works better this time. And I'll explain why as we move forward, because okay, this serves a purpose going back in time. This time it's showing us a different perspective of something we've already seen. And I think that's kind of neat. The last time it was going to back 20 yeah. minutes for not really any particular reason. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. So Harry Osborne is in a session with his therapist, who's actually a hypnotist. And John, when I was recording last week's episode, you noticed his name, Dr. Warren, and you asked about that. And I said, he doesn't come back up again in this run because I, I'm pretty confident about that, but I wasn't thinking because we don't get his first name. I'm guessing that's supposed to be miles Warren, who is the Jackal in the original comics. And what are the Jackal's powers? Is it some sort of hypnosis? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And I also think he's just like a crazy scientist, dude. I know um, he mm. his, the thing he's famous for is making a clone of Peter Parker and a clone of Gwen Stacy after <laughs> Gwen Stacy had died because he was in love with Gwen Stacy. And the clone of Peter Parker just kind of scampers off ben and Riley? goes his own way. And you don't see him for like another 20 years. And then he becomes Ben Riley. Uh, interesting. The only reason I know who Ben Riley is is because I found a Funko Pop sitting on someone's desk that had been like cleared out. It was like the only thing that was left. And it was in some Spider-Man costume that I had never seen before. And I took a picture of it and I thought to myself, there's a 100% chance Zach will immediately know who this is when I send it to him. And Zach immediately knew who it was as soon as I sent it. I got the response like Ben Riley, Spider-Man, Earth, whatever ever <laughs> well he's from earth 616 he's just a clone uh, okay Nerd. but yeah he <laughs> exists because of dr warren oh well that's cool okay good catch yeah th this probably is supposed to be him we don't get a first name but it's my guess because bendis probably didn't put that name in there for it not to mean anything yeah um so Dr. Warren convinces Harry that his mother died in a fire and his father loves him very much. And Twice he, as much now that his mother is yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a funny touch. Um, he awakens Harry from his hypnosis and asks him some questions about school. And my guess is this is so Harry has some memories of an actual therapy session which is kind of clever. And Harry says he thinks his classmates treat him differently because of his money, but he's glad his friends, Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson don't. And he says they're about to come over and he's excited to see them. And he asks Dr. Warren if he would like to meet them too, which was very weird. Harry's just a strange guy. <laughs> God love him. Harry is a strange guy. Yeah. Uh, 
later he doesn't even the doctor doesn't even answer but later dr warren <laughs> is in, does he not no <laughs> that's funny later dr warren is in norman's office informing him of harry's progress and he says the suggestions are holding and harry hasn't had a nightmare in two weeks and norman asks about the program words and we don't really know what that is yet but dr warren says they're still there but he hasn't tested them and he wanted to discuss them more with norman norman receives a call from his assistant about peter and he tells her no, just come back here without them. And Dr. Warren keeps trying to talk about the long-term effects of Harry's conditioning, but Norman brushes him off and excuses him by saying, Doctor, you are paid handsomely for a specific service. So with Warren gone, Norman grabs a syringe and a purple cloak and heads to the roof. He injects himself with the serum and becomes the Green Goblin. It's funny that he like he has his purple cloak hung up kind of like how Batman would like hang up his suit or like a superhero would hang up his suit and like either before he yeah right before he injects himself he like goes over and like looks at it and I just think it's funny that he runs around in this like purple cloak like I wonder if he had it before he turned into the goblin and it was like his favorite coat or something or how he found it. Yeah, I think it's just a cool character design to have a goblin man wearing it. But the fact that Norman Osborn is like this billionaire industrialist guy and it's just this ratty, dirty, ripped up <laughs> purple cloak that you could not buy at any store and clearly fits like a 12 foot tall goblin. goblin. Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm th- I'm thinking he had to have made it himself or something. Yeah, probably. He looks like he reminds me of like little red, the wolf in little red riding hood, like wearing grandmother's clothing or something. That's what it kind of looks like to me. (laughs) Harry comes in and says, my father, what green skin you have. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so he's on the roof. He becomes the green goblin and, we see from his perspective as reality instantly shifts, the colors and shapes of the environment start to change and ghosts begin floating all around Norman. What was happening here? (laughs) I was so confused by these little ghost creatures throughout the, I'm pulling it up, especially, especially, how how in detailed are you going to get into what the ghosts say? Should I just say some stuff? Should I just I was going to pick start out start talking few. about them? Yeah. So my notes just say read random thoughts. <laughs> um, some of them say like there's one that says my eyes are itching. That's and then there's one the exact one I was looking at about to comment on, and the same ghost says that like five different times. He talks about his eyes itching. Yeah, like it if you pay attention these ghosts seem to like be repeating similar things. Like each one will have kind of a sort of like their thing that they talk about, but then sometimes there will be something just nonsensical thrown in. Like one word bubble says nice rice vice tice. <laughs> I also wrote that one down. And then one says like 
phosphate bond and one says death eyes and that's when spider-man's approaching he like sees his because he's his mask it just says death eyes uh, um and, and and when when you say they some of them say like phosphate bonds to me this is how i interpreted this kind of is this is still like the scientist of norman osborne trying to explain as it happens like everything that is happening in his body and in spider-man's body you know when he shows up and so that's like part of his brain but it's going crazy obviously and then he's got like a million goblin parts at this point and they're all just saying random stuff and like they're it's like complete nonsensical most of them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's different aspects of him and like the knowledge in his head um, being displayed simultaneously on different spectrums of like actual and like nonsensical because there's one that says fortune 500 and I'm guessing that's a reference to his company. Maybe his company yeah. was in the Fortune 500 um, and then there's ones that we don't understand yet. Well, there's one that says like chemical mutagenesis. And that's probably like about his experiments and what's happening to him and Peter. There's one we don't understand yet that comes up a couple times and kind of flies under the radar and it's cellar door. And maybe we'll learn about it later. Yeah. As of right now. Cellar door doesn't mean anything. But yeah, there's a bunch that are like, my eyes are itchy, get dressed. You are death. Yeah. Death becomes you. And then I'm pretty sure, and maybe you'll get to it, but they start just yelling about circles, of course. (laughs) Yep. I'm looking at some of these repeated words, and we've got, on the other page even, we've got blood, girl, Circles, war, hate him, and and they're earlier they're talking about like there is it's kind of fun to just read them all. Earlier they're talking about like their eyes itching, the ghosts, and now in this one I'm looking at it says I want to scratch my eyes out of my head, and then on the next one it says like oh where was the other one, and then the next bubble says scratch his eyes. <laughs> I just did a quick count. There's like straight up 23 different panels across four pages that are that are following this format. So, I mean, he has got to have maybe a hundred different thoughts that we're seeing just in little nonsensical two or three word bursts. And and they're completely like off the rails, not associated with one another. Like this panel says, I love him, kill him, skin him, kiss him, plasmids, hate him, hug him, burn him. He's just, he's going off the rails. Yeah. Um. And along with this, there's a ton of like scientific thought that is like incomprehensible as well. Yeah, yeah, like he's even still trying to do science in his head in this state. It's not really clear how in control he is or how much like if there's any truth to any of this. It it just kind of feels like he is a smart person and he's got a lot of history and you know, we're seeing his personality but just through the lens of like LSD. Yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I think we've, we've been through that enough. Uh, back to the plot of what's happening in these panels. Spider-Man arrives and we see the exact same conversation as in issue 24 from Norman's point of view. So this is the circles conversation. And, you know, where he's like circles of life, circles of death. But Except in this one, seeing- we learn that ghosts have been screaming at him to tell Peter about the circles for like two pages. <laughs> they just keep being like, tell him about the circles. Yep. And even kind of like cellar door, that doesn't quite make sense to us yet, but it will. Um, Norman sees Peter's features change to appear more and more like a real spider. So like through his spider suit, he sees Peter getting, you know, little hairs that poke out and the pinchers on his mouth and his eyes start to look like, you know, spider eyes, like for real. And Norman jumps down from the roof, grabs MJ off the street, runs up a building and begins jumping across rooftops. So now we're back to the beginning. So I actually like that little 20 minute diversion because it tells us a lot about Norman and what he experiences and what he thinks. And that kind of informs his actions moving forward. Yeah. Um, Peter chases them shouting, somebody, somebody help me, please. Somebody help Nick Fury. Are you out there? Help her. And Norman finally lands at the top of one of the pillars of the Brooklyn bridge. And Peter lands next to him and says, you've got to stop this. Norman points at an incoming shield helicopter and says, circles, Parker there. There they are. They would choose to destroy us both. So my secrets die. Choose now, little Peter choose. So, the rotors of the helicopter blades are are making circles. And I think it's supposed to represent Norman thinks because he's a superhuman and because Peter's a superhuman shield or the authorities or whoever, they're going to go after them, whether they're using it for good or bad. It doesn't matter. Both of them are going okay. to be targets. So I think he's trying to draw some kind of like you and I, we are not so different, like kind of thing to Peter. And that's what he means by circles. And it only becomes evident once you see the picture of a helicopter coming. Ah, uh, okay. He's still totally insane. <laughs> yeah, that's not the that, way you- that that somehow doesn't make it barely makes more sense than him just being crazy and rambling about like the circle of the universe and how life turns into death and blah, 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 which is what I thought he was doing until you just explained it to me about the helicopters. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why we get, you know, all of this nonsense is to show like, this is the way he talks. This is the way he thinks it makes sense to him but he's never going to get through to anyone else. Well, that was a good explanation you had, uh, especially knowing what we know happens later in the issues. Yeah. I, the cellar door thing just kind of informed my reading of this. And I was like, anything that he says that's repeated 
has some kind of meaning. We just maybe don't know it yet. Yeah. Um. So Peter says, just let the girl just I'll do whatever you want. Just give me the girl. And Norman throws her off the bridge and Peter yells, no, and jumps after her. And we get eight vertical panels across two pages as they both fall. So it's really dramatic. All the motion looks like it's going downwards to your eyes. Um, And Peter shoots a web that catches Mary Jane by the ankle just before she hits the water. And he pulls her back up onto the sidewalk of the bridge and sets her down on the ground and says, Mary, Mary, I, I caught you. I got you, Mary. I, and he sees that she is limp and unresponsive and says, Oh no. She's obviously okay. Well, it's not, (laughs) it's not that obvious. I don't think the way it's presented. So how familiar are you with the death of Gwen Stacy? Um, I'm familiar with it in that, like, I know what happens in it and that in the amazing Spider-Man two, they basically do the same thing. And I was thinking maybe this could be it, but I was like, no way. So I think up to this point, Bendis has been playing with this idea in this run that whatever you associated with Gwen before you're now going to associate with Mary Jane and whatever you associated with Mary Jane before you're now going to associate with Gwen Gwen. Why do you say that? Because in like the sixties and seventies, Gwen Stacy was kind of the girl next door, sweet girlfriend type. And Mary Jane was kind of the wild card party girl. And in this series, he switched that. And so normally Gwen Stacy would get thrown off the Brooklyn bridge by the green goblin and Spider-Man would catch her with a web, but she like broke her neck or she was already dead when he threw her and Peter pulls her up and thinks that he saved her and he didn't. And that's the tragedy. And we've already been presented Mary Jane as if she was Gwen this whole time. And now the exact same thing happens and the issue ends. Yeah. So we know because of John saying it, she she's alive. (laughs) But if you're reading this on a month to month basis and are familiar with the original like story, death of Gwen Stacy. Well, that's just what I thought. As soon as I read it, I was like, she's okay. So I was just, she might not be. That's just when I read it. That was my response. And I'm saying if you had to wait a month for the next issue to come out, that's what you would be. You'd be thinking yeah. that she she was dead. Well, I'm sure you have heard the like Batman, <sighs> Jason Todd, the death of Jason Todd story. Do you know what that is when I say that at all? Does that sound familiar? No. So obviously Batman and Robin. And there's one issue called a death in the family and the Joker kidnaps Robin and just totally like beats him to the point that he's dead. And Batman shows up like too late and it ends. The the issue ends with Batman cradling Robin exactly like Peter's cradling MJ in this. 
and they didn't know if he was going to survive or die. So they put out. Is that the one and, where? Yeah. Okay. I, a, I, I'd heard that part of the story. They did like a survey or a, a poll or something. And, and you could call in and say, if you vote and vote for him to either die or survive. And he ended up being killed by like 87 votes or something like that out of like, you know, thousands and thousands of votes. It was like a pretty close one. Okay. I do. I am aware of that backstory, but you know, as not being a Batman reader, I didn't, I didn't realize that's what you were talking about. Yeah. Not that that had anything to do with this one, but it just reminded me of it. But I mean, it's um, a similar gut punch, you know, you don't think that those kind of things should happen in superhero comics to like a good friend of the hero. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what did, uh, what did you think of this one? I really liked this one. It's I'm going to give it, I'm probably going to give it, what do we have a scale? Circles out of 10 circles. Yeah. 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 I'm going to give it nine circles. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm going to raise my score on it a little bit because the things, the problems I had with it, you came in and really like justified them very well. Like the fact that this was like two out of three episodes that kind of started, you know, with something and then we backed up, but you're right. This one, I mean, that, that was a, a really good way to show like everything from Norman's perspective. And then I thought that the circles thing didn't go anywhere and especially we'll get into in the next issue, but the next issue is called circles. So I really thought we were going to get some explanations and I kind of missed what it was, I think until you pointed it out. So I'm, I'm going to raise my grade on it, but not all the way up to what you are. I think I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of 10 circles. I originally had it at a six and a half out of 10. Wow. Okay. I I know. I think maybe I didn't understand what was happening enough with Goblin and all of his like ghosts. And it just like went on a bit too long for me. And and, uh, I think that's where some of my hating on it comes in. But I still, I mean, it was still great. I I, I don't know. I maybe even want to want to move it up to an eight, but I think I'm going to stick at a seven and a half out of 10. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. And the way that it's presented from Norman being the focal character, it's a focal character you hate and are like scared of, but you're in his perspective. It, it, it's almost like watching an episode of like you, you know, yeah. there was something kind of unnerving about this issue, but in a way that I liked. Yeah. OK, so what you so say? Nine and nine and seven and a half. OK. Yep. So that's an 8.25 average between the two of us, which is very respectable. Um, so issue 26, which, as I said, was called Circles, which really I was like, when I saw that, I was like, what is the deal with this is what I wrote. I said, this issue is actually called Circles. I can't believe it. These circles better come up in a not so insane way. And I don't remember that, but, but, but I just hadn't, didn't understand them at the time. So this is written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Art to Bear, colored by Transparency Digital, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos. And we open on the Triskelion, Triskelion, Triskelion. I think it's Triskelion. Yeah, I know this. I, uh, 
and and I I do love seeing it. I wish I gave it a better pronunciation there to start because as soon as it opens up, I love seeing anything that I'm like, that's like from the movies, <laughs> you know. Which is impressive <laughs> um, because they destroyed it real fast in the movies. Didn't it yeah, just they, last it the was, one it Captain was America only in? Um, yeah, I when, think so. Like Winter Soldier, I think yeah. was the only one it was in. Yeah, great movie though. It was. Um, so I, I said something even about seeing the Triskelion makes me giddy. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna see yeah. a lot of it because it is. I mean, it's pretty. I think it's like one of the few landmarks that's important and specific to the Ultimate Universe. So it comes up all the freaking time in these books. Okay. Um, so Fury is watching the situation with Osborne and Peter unfold. They have a shot on Osborne, but they, they might risk Mary Jane. So they don't take it. And all of a sudden Osborne drops her and they're like, Oh my gosh, he just dropped her. I can't believe it. And Nick Fury is like, take the shot immediately since she's out of the way. And they just like light goblin up with their, uh, helicopter machine guns. But I like the sound effect. It's braca, 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 braca. <laughs> like all the way across the page. Yeah. Yeah. There's a million. He's getting, uh, when I said he was getting lit up, I meant it. <laughs> um, but goblin is not going down so easy. He's yelling to fury that it's going to take a lot more than that. And Mary Jane wakes up. She's a bit delirious and she wants to stay with Peter. Well, he's Spider-Manning, but he tells her to go to an abandoned warehouse on some street that they know about and don't go anywhere near his house or the Osbournes. And they hail a cab because it's New York City and the cab driver pulls up and he's like, Spidey, you rock. You the man. <laughs> and Spider-Man's like, can you take her somewhere for me? And they're like, anything for you. <laughs> so it's pretty New York. And he's got a Superman tattoo. Does he? I didn't even notice it's, that. It's always funny when they try to sneak like a DC uh, intellectual property thing into Marvel books. That's funny. Um, Zach, I just had a thought and we can cut this if you don't think it's pot appropriate. But do they this run came out during 9-11, didn't it? Yeah. So the earlier issues that we read, I had pointed out, oh, there's the Twin Towers. This one, I think, came out in like 2002 or 2003. So so they don't mention it at all. Okay. Uh, that's what I was wondering is if it got when it happened. Because I'm sure there was some Spider-Man comics. That's what made me think of it. Is I think I I saw a Spider-Man comic, comic where it was like mentioned. So I was wondering if it, since we were going to be reading it and that's when this run came out, if we were going to get like an issue about that. That was in the main universe. And at the time, I think they thought they did like a whole big, really memorable issue about it. Um, and at the time, obviously, they were trying to be like respectful and it was like in everyone's minds. But I almost think that like it works better in this series that it's just that the towers were gone and they don't they don't try to yeah. dwell on it. You know, they just kind of let it we as readers are well aware of what had just happened and 
the whole series kind of feels like the post 9-11 era. You know, it feels yeah. like it's. I think from a modern perspective, it, it does better to comment on that era after the attacks, you know, kind of subtly than it would have to just make one issue. Episode yeah, issue. that was yeah. about it. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, well, back on track, the cab driver uh, takes Mary Jane away. And with MJ safe in the cab, Spidey turns his attention back to Gobby and he shows up and just starts wailing on him. And he's just absolutely thrashing him, like yelling at him. Like, you think I'd let you do this to the people I care about? Um, You know, this is, uh, I think he says something like, this is going to be the end or something like that to the people I love. Um, I won't let you hurt anyone anymore. So he's, he's just completely pummeling him. And then eventually Norman Osborn gets like a hand on him and he's just able to like chuck him to the side and the shield agents and their helicopters start firing on him again. And Osborn runs back to the penthouse with the shield choppers in full pursuit. So Spidey thinks about Harry and he knows he needs to get back to the Osborns before Norman does. Uh, and then we kind of cut to Norman and we're back in his psyche and we can see that his Oz is wearing off and he needs another dose. And as he's per- preparing to dose up, Harry walks in and says, what have you done with my father? And just then Norman as the goblin says the words cellar door and Harry immediately faints. So now we know what those code word were, were why he was saying cellar door so many times. Yeah. It hangs up two dangling plot threads from the last issue at once. The, the words that the hypnotist had put into Harry and then, you know, why he kept saying cellar doors. They're the same yeah. thing. So Goblin injects himself with more Oz and he kind of regains his strength from being shot and beat up so bad, but he wants more. So he shoots up another dose and Zach, the way I took this as he is now totally out of control. He, this extra dose is what makes him just a total monster. He's no longer a rambling scientist you know going crazy he's now just like i last last episode i think i said like hulked out like he's now is just some total monster he can't form words anymore is that he's how like, you read this as well yeah he's like practically a wild animal yeah yes exactly so spidey shows up and once again he's able to just kind of start kicking his butt a little bit um but Goblin is humongous compared to Spider-Man. So all it takes is like one good grab and he's just able to grab him and he tosses him through a big glass window. And Spider-Man is extremely beat up after this glass window. I thought it was a glass window too. That's an aquarium. Oh, was it? Did water come? Oh, I guess there is some water come. I, I wasn't really sure what it was, to be honest. I just know he got thrown through glass but even when I was looking at it, I was like, I, that's why there's a shark in the next. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we we are going to get to the to the first 
is it next is it the next issue or is I it was, the very end of this one that the first thing we see is like a shark in the fight and i was like why is there a shark here all of a sudden is is harry like going crazy and he thinks there's like sharks i was having such a hard so time funny trying to figure it out and then i was like oh there was an aquarium <laughs> um so Peter gets thrown through an aquarium, like a glass aquarium, and and a shark spills out onto the fighting scene, which I just noticed. And um, he's really beat up. It reminded me, Zach, uh, of that first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. There are some really vicious scenes at the end where his mask is like all ripped off when he's and and that's what i think it looked very similar to there's there's one shot in particular where you can kind of see his mask is like half off like getting ripped and it's it's pretty brutal looking you know he always finds himself in that position where his mask and his chest are ripped off he never like rips it to where his butt is showing or anything it's like (laughs) all the all the private areas are super reinforced and the rest of his uniform is just like tear away material Right, and now Marvel can't do that in an issue because we said it. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um, so Spidey's down bad, and a humongous, fully goblin creature has both hands around. Oh, that's the so be, even before this, Goblin has Peter's head, and he's completely palming it like a basketball, and it looks like he's just prepared to squish it. And then in our very last page, we get a shot of Harry waking up and he says, I got a dad. And then the very last scene is now this fully goblin creature just with both hands entirely around Peter's neck, looking like he could just, I mean, rip his head clean off if he tried to. And to be concluded... Good tease. So what'd you think of this one? Um, I thought that this one was pretty good. I rated it higher than the last one. Um, you know, I love the Triskelion, <laughs> Triskelion, even though I can't uh, remember how they say it in the movies right now. Um, the scene with MJ and the cab is good. You know, it was just all pretty good. A, a a pretty solid fight between Peter and Goblin, I think. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the conclusion. What did you think? Eh. <laughs> I, it wasn't bad. I love this whole arc and this issue's, you know, no different, but it's just so fight heavy. You know, it's all it really does is establish that Mary Jane's still alive and then move the fight somewhere else. Yeah, well, that's one of the problems I had with the last issue is that everything that happens in it from a timeline perspective kind of takes us to the exact same spot we were at before. You know, the whole issue is just the last 20 minutes and then we end with Harry catching MJ, which is, I think, where we ended the previous issue as well. Or no, she's getting thrown. She's getting thrown off in the previous issue. And he catches her. And so, so that's like all that happened. And, you know, really, it uh, almost seems like this 
story was originally planned just to take place at the Osbournes. And at some point someone said, Oh no, we should try and do the, you know, the death of Gwen Stacy kind of thing, but it, it'd be a fake out. And like, that was the only purpose for jumping away, like and going to the bridge. Yeah. Cause if oh, he just wanted well- to kill her, he could have thrown her off a building, but it's like the only purpose of going to the bridge is just for the callback. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You, you know, they probably did want to get that in there and be like, Oh, well we have to, we should have him throw MJ off the bridge and Peter will catch her. And And I don't blame him. It's that's one of my most memorable moments of the entire run. You know, it, it works unless you think about it logically. Well, on this page eight of this issue we get a really good drawing that probably perfectly represents why osborne calls these helicopter things like the circles because i don't think it's the helicopter blade spinning you probably got to look at page eight and you'll and you'll see the picture that i'm talking about oh wow i don't have I don't have page numbers. Oh, well, it, it's the um, it's the eighth page of the issue that we're on. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> um, but it's it's just some helicopters and it's their lights that shine that kind of like form the these like red circles that it looks like from his perspective. Oh, yeah. OK. So, um. But but I thought this one was okay. I gave it four out of five shots of Oz. Okay. I'm going to give it three out of five shots of Oz. Okay. Yeah, I do see those circular lights. Kind of look like boobies. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, Mark Bagley, <laughs> you son of a gun. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got anything else for that one? Nope, I don't think so. Ooh, let's get into the conclusion. Issue 27, the epic conclusion of what we're calling the Goblin Returns Part 2. And, and this is a, not it's six issues, but one of them was a double. So this is the ending to a seven part series. That's that's one fourth of this entire run so far. I don't know if this makes sense or is even accurate, but I've always thought of this arc, the conclusion of this arc to kind of be the capstone of the early, like first era of the ultimate Spider-Man run. It kind of, I can definitely see that. Like just in my memory, when I think back about, you know, what they, what it was like when they were first fleshing out the world and building the characters, this is where that ends. And then everything after that to me feels like kind of the middle of the arc. This, this kind of feels like the end of the first season because this whole story started with like Norman Osborn's experiments that turned him into Spider-Man and basically led him on the path to become Goblin. So now we're kind of getting the end of that. Issue one, the very first person we saw was Norman Osborn. So far, really? Yeah, so far we've kind of been seeing his story 
as the B plot of, you know, Peter's story. And I'm, and I'm so excited. I'm just going to spoil the ending to this one. Norman beats Spider-Man and the rest of the series were following the green goblin. The, Except the for when he neighborhood green goblin. I'm going to get this back on track. So we open on Norman strangling Peter. A shark is flopping around on the floor near them because Norman's office aquarium has been broken. Shield helicopters are outside the window. Harry Osborne stands on the other side of the room stunned. He says, I promise I was like, is this shark in Harry's head? Does this have to do with his hypnosis somehow? (laughs) Yeah, you could have blinked and missed that the aquarium and the shark thing happened in the last issue but at the very beginning of this one there's like an entire panel just of the shark (laughs) um harry says dad is that you what did you do oh my god peter and we hear peter's thoughts my spine is bending my boots are wet i can't get a footing he's too big now i can't catch my breath he's killing me he's laughing No, please stop laughing. And Peter is able to land one good kick to Norman's chin and free himself. He fires his webbing at Norman while thinking, no time to be fancy, no time to be cute. Just hit him with everything. Just win. Norman rips free from the webbing and yells, Parker! I, I, you, I would make you. I think I wrote that weird. No, it's you probably didn't because the words are like, I told this you, I will make a you. Yeah, I told you, I will make you. (laughs) Yeah, so he can talk now, Um, but not well. It's very well. Like, yeah, like a wild animal who knows how to talk. (laughs) Yeah, one of those. He looks around the room and only sees Harry. And then from the ceiling, Peter hurls a desk at Norman while thinking, no time to be fancy. The desk hits Norman, but he throws it through the exterior window. And Peter catches it with a web to save the people on the street below. So he's holding this desk by a web, and he knows that he's vulnerable to Norman from the back. And he says, Osborne, the people below, just let me. And Norman grabs Peter by the head and neck as Peter continues. Please let me. No, no, the people below, you'll kill them. Just let me. And Harry is also yelling, Father, stop. Father. And Harry stabs through Norman with a broken steel window frame. Norman wheels around to look at Harry. And this opens him up for a clear shot from the shield helicopter. And Harry has a tear in his eye. And for a single frame, the goblin has a look of remorse on his face. Then the helicopter takes the shot and lights Norman up. His body starts to change again as he grows hideous boils and screams in pain. And he transforms back into human form in a pool of blood his body smoking Harry starts to try to ask Peter what just happened or about him being Spider-Man 
but he faints before they really say anything. And okay, I that was, Zach, that was a really uh, very descriptive and well done couple of pages there. But after so one is, do you think Norman Osborn is dead? Like, did he die there? <laughs> Are we supposed to, is it supposed to be ambiguous or are we supposed to know he's dead? He's in human form in a pool of blood, not moving and his body's smoking and no one's really in a hurry later on to do much with him. I think the implication is that he's probably dead. Okay. Probably carrying a lot of weight there. Mostly dead. Um, and then I did. I did kind of laugh when Harry is like, "It's Peter. Why are you? It's just something I." Uh, and he faints, and Peter just goes, "Oh, Harry." <laughs> Which I don't know how Peter was supposed to say that, but I assume he says it in the same way we talk about Harry Osborn when we're like, "Oh, Harry, you're just so." Uh, <laughs> Beautiful little airhead. Yeah. <laughs> well, unless this fight, the, the like the back at the penthouse portion of it, just dragged on for a really long time. This is like the second time in maybe two minutes that Harry has fainted. When was the first time? Cellar door. He like just woke up. He, he woke up long enough actually, to stab his dad. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> he woke up, stabbed his dad, and then passed out again. That hypnotic suggestion oh. did not do its job. Oh, Harry. Poor Harry. Or did it? Yeah. Um, I don't think the hypnotic suggestion was for anything that we've seen in this so far. I think that's a that's a plot thread to watch for moving forward. Oh, is it? It wasn't just for, so there's more hypnosis. I was thinking his hypnosis was to just be like, we kind of got into it, but in the first issue, it's like your daddy loves you very much. And now that your mom's gone, he loves you twice as much. Harry, he's so proud of you. Well, yeah, that was part of it, but I mean, cellar door, like what that activates. Oh, interesting. See, I was thinking that was just so if he he ever caught Norman, he could just like make him pass out, you know, for like two seconds and then get up and stab him. Yeah, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, not very, uh, not a very good hypnotic suggestion. Right. Um, so anyways, Harry's down, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and Nick Fury enter the room and secure the area. They take Harry away, and Fury tells Peter they're going to deprogram the hypnotherapy and then try to get him back to a normal life. And Peter is furious that Fury wasn't there sooner, but Fury says, Think of it this way, kid. One less injection and Norman might have had enough wits about him to do something really horrible. I know it doesn't feel like it, but you dodged a bullet and you did it with style. Which doesn't make sense to me. It feels like he's brushing Peter no, off. Like I, this is, seems like a totally this issue of Nick Fury is a totally different characterization. I think than any than any time we've seen him in the last couple issues, which hasn't been that much. 
but he just is not Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury in this. I read it as he's just, he was not in control of the situation at any point in time. And he's just like making up some BS to this high school kid. Yeah. Cause he's saying, Oh, maybe, you know, him taking a ton of Oz and becoming this giant unstoppable monster for you to fight. Maybe that was better than if he had been smarter. Yeah. And he's just like the whole last issue. He, I, I remember writing in my notes that I don't have like shield shows up after everything is already done. And like, <laughs> you know, they're That's... just so useless. And Nick Fury comes waltz again. And he's like, you're welcome, Mr. Parker. That could have been a lot worse. <laughs> That's their job. They, they go up to crime scenes and say, this is our jurisdiction yeah, now. Yeah. They had to wait for it to become a crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> Not an active crime, but this just the scene of a past one. Yeah. And then they can hop in. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Fury asks Agent Jimmy Wu if Mary Jane made it safely back to Queens, and Wu says that she did. And Nick Fury tells him, okay. Pull recon out of there. All surveillance on the Parker kid is done. And he gives Peter some advice to avoid telling Mary Jane any more about his double life to keep her safe from it. Or better yet, just enjoy his youth for now. Fury says, you're too young to be this involved with the big boys. There will be plenty of time and opportunity for you here later. And Peter says he doesn't want any part of Fury's big boy world. And Fury says, well, you hardly have any choice, kid. You're an illegal, unnatural genetic mutation. And Fury is drawn in a really... He looks... I wrote, he looks very sinister in these like three pan, three or four panels where he's saying this to Peter. And he's like partially um, like covered in shadows as well. So... As he's saying all this, he's looking, you know, kind of mean and scary. I did not like Nick Fury in this issue very much. Yeah. Um, he continues, you turn 18, you belong to me. That's the way it is. So. He kind of caps off this whole arc by proving Norman's circles rant, right? A hundred percent. And I didn't know that he was proving Norman's circles rant right, but I 100% knew that he was proving Norman right. Or that's exactly what Norman was saying to Peter before is like, I own you, you know? And now Fury, who's the good guy supposed to be, is saying the exact same thing. Yeah, he's no different. I'm not sure I like that because I like Nick Fury so much and I want the Avengers, but they're called in this universe, the ultimates. I want them to be the good guys. I think you're going to struggle with what shield (laughs) and the ultimates and even the Avengers, but you know, they put a nice face on it are supposed to represent. I mean, he's the military industrial complex. 
he is big oh, brother. I, I really hope Zach teased this earlier for me, but we get a couple Captain America issues next, and he's my favorite. And I'm really hoping we get some good Captain America. Uh, uh, I'm, you wor- know, I'm a little bit worried now. You know what Samuel L. Jackson moment? The whole um, I own you kid thing reminds me of um what so you know in star wars episode three when anakin is like already struggling with like oh do i you know go the way of the jedi or the way of the sith yeah and like the whole the thing that separates them is like the jedi have this like moral code and then he finds himself in a situation where Mace Windu is about to kill Palpatine. And he says something like, Oh, you know, he's too dangerous. You know, we have to do it. And that's when Anakin basically decides to turn against the Jedi and become Darth Vader is when he realizes there's no difference between what the good guys are willing to do and what the bad guys are willing to do. And that's what Nick Fury does in this scene right here. Not that Spider-Man's about to turn into Darth no, Vader. No, well, no, not at all. And and that made me think of something else. But but that's what Palpatine says to Anakin earlier on in the movie. Did you know that? In the very first fight of the movie, that's what he says when Anakin has Dooku like cornered and Anakin's like we need to turn him in and Palpatine is like he's too dangerous to be kept alive and then so and Anakin Anakin's like it's a, not the way of the a, Jedi yeah and it's like Anakin didn't you behead someone for this exact same reason like an hour ago in the movie well he knew he said it's not the way of the Jedi and then here he there he was later seeing the Jedi doing the exact same thing yeah well, that kind of reminds me what you said about um, like Nick Fury just knowing what there's the good guys and the bad guys kind of have to do the same type of thing is in Winter Soldier, which is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping we get these next couple issues are somewhat, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Captain America take down this shield. That is awful. I don't think that that's what we're going to get, but. The, the the scene where he shows Captain America like the sentinel things in the sky and he's like, we can kill them before they even know what's going on now. And that's like what starts the whole Winter Soldier thing because Captain America is like, this isn't, this is what the bad guys do. You know, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and he's right. Nick exactly. Fury. He always is. Nick Fury is super cool and he's like a protagonist in the Marvel Universe, but I won't ever call him a good guy. Yeah. He's like a morally compromised. Yeah, definitely. Guy at best. Yeah. Um, so Peter is shocked by this encounter and he runs out the window and swings into the night. And as Fury watches him go, he says to himself, Dems to breaks, kid. I don't have anything. It's just great. Okay. Good dialogue. Dems to breaks, kid. Yeah. Dems, D-E-M-S. Yeah. Peter gets to an abandoned warehouse and starts calling out for Mary Jane. 
She peeks around a corner holding a pipe, but drops it and runs to Peter for a hug once she realizes it's him. And he asks her what she was doing going to the Osbournes. And Mary tells him she thought he was going to be there. And Peter says, but I told you about Harry's father. I told you he was. And Mary Jane interrupts him and says, you didn't tell me anything. You told me you thought he was that monster thing. You didn't tell me you knew. You didn't tell me anything. How am I supposed to know that was going to happen? And she asks what happened to Harry. And Peter says, he's gone again. And she asks him for more information than that. But Peter appears to take Nick Fury's advice and says, I don't want to talk about it yet, please. And the, the issue ends with the two sitting on an oil drum, sadly looking in different directions. With a lot of space between them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Peter once again messing it up with Mary Jane. <laughs> Yeah, I think she made some pretty good points about how this stuff only happened because he doesn't tell her anything. She's too, she knows too much to be left out of the loop. You know, if she didn't know anything, it makes sense to leave her out of the loop, but she knows too much to not be involved. Exactly. He's basically told her, by the way, I'm Spider-Man. I have enemies uh, you're, I'm dating you. You're important to me. One of them knows who I am. Okay, bye. And then doesn't say it's one of our friend's dads. Like if he invites you over, if he ever comes near you, don't don't do it. The only the only point Mary Jane made that is not a good one is Peter says, "But I told you about Harry's father. I told you he was." And she says, "You didn't tell me anything." You told me you thought he was that monster. You didn't tell me you knew. And it's like, well, that's, he did kind of tell you then, right? Yeah. That you probably still should have stayed away if he told you he thought he was the monster. That one sentence didn't help her case. But other than that, she was spitting facts. She, yeah. Yep. Um, well, I thought that this was a pretty satisfying conclusion. Um, I wish that Nick Fury was a better guy, but I can't say I didn't like the story because of that, you know, like, um, but I don't have a grading system for it. If I had one, it's lost with my notes. Uh, what can we do? Sharks on the floor? <laughs> yes okay out of 10 sharks on the floor what would you give it um here do you want to go let me scan the pages real fast and just yeah i i'll give it i'll give it a solid eight and a half because like you said it's a very satisfying conclusion to a really good arc and then you know the conversation with nick fury is great and honestly, that's, I mean, that's most of what really works about the issue. It's satisfying to see Mary Jane not even tell Peter off, but if she had, I mean, he would have deserved it, but just air out these frustrations because you're right. Like he didn't do right by her. Yeah. 
And I feel like it's very similar to a couple weeks ago where Aunt May did the, you know, exact same thing when he was lying to her and not, you know, Peter's got to treat the women in his life better. He has, he, he is surrounded by nothing but like just awesome women. And that cast is even going to grow throughout the series. And he never knows how to communicate with them or <laughs> treat them or anything. Not that he's like a bad dude. He's just clueless. Yeah. Well, he's 16. <laughs> he's 15. He's 15. Well, at least he still has, you know, two and a half more years before Nick Fury owns him. Yeah. So he's got a lot of, t- so we, we will still get to enjoy some time with him. So he's got that going for him. Yeah. I'm sure that won't be just hanging over his head for the next couple of years. Yeah. So did you give it a, a rating? Oh, I didn't. Um, I think I'm, I think, what'd you say? Eight and a half. Yeah. Or eight. Um, I think I'll join you with eight and a half sharks on the floor. <laughs> um, yeah, this is pretty good. I, I wouldn't mind seeing more Harry Osborne if he's comes back. Does he show back up at school or is he is he like with Shield getting deprogrammed now? Yeah, I mean he's he's busy. He won't be in homeroom next week, but uh anytime someone's not dead in the series They're coming back. You can safely bet on them returning. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. Good, good, uh, good run overall. Probably better than the Doc Ock run, I'd say, for sure. And better than any of our Craven stuff. What else have we had? We haven't had that much. Kingpin. Ooh, I do like Kingpin. And we'll get to see him again, so that's nice. But yeah, this was a good one. I liked it. Yep. Um... So do you have a something else for the week? Zach, I don't. This is only like two and a half days after we recorded the last one. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a something else. Oh, well, you told me that Captain America was coming back. That's why we started talking about Avengers Endgame before. So I don't. Uh, have... Can you tell me about that also? I don't have any insider information, but I don't think it's a secret and I don't think it'll be a surprise when Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. return in their roles for Avengers secret wars. I will be pumped about that. If they have good roles, that's what got us talking about the portal scene on Avengers Endgame in the first place. I was like, well, if they come back, they better come back for, you know, a, a whole story. And I think I just heard that they might be coming back in some no like some series called Nomad, which was like a Captain America title for a little bit. Um, well, he already was Nomad. And I know that's kind of but he was never called that. But that's kind of what that was supposed to represent, I think. Did you see Anthony Mackie was asked about, oh, what, what's Steve Rogers up to? And he said something like, he's not dead. Like, he kind of hinted that maybe we'll see him again. I don't know if that's supposed to be the old man version or I'd be, I'd be Chris so Evans. Um, speaking of Chris Evans and how awesome he is, have you seen the movie Snowpiercer? I have not. Zach, 
you've got to check this one out. Okay. It's back from like 2014. I'm actually glad I just brought it up because um, I, I went to Hulu and I tried to watch it and I signed up for a free seven day trial for stars. And I'm pretty sure I need to cancel that like today. So I'm glad I mentioned it. You know, um, if you get the direct TV package, it comes with stars for a year. Yeah. And my bill won't even go up by like 90 bucks a month on year two. If it does, here's my number. Call me. <laughs> uh, Zach and I used to do door to door sales for AT&T. And we'll do it. An ep- and it wasn't a pyramid scheme. Okay. We'll Let's do an episode episode on it for sure. Um, but you should definitely watch Snowpiercer. It is the director is the guy who directed Parasite and it's back in 2014. So this is like right when Captain America Winter Soldier was coming out. So Chris Evans was kind of like, you know, I don't know. He was like up up and coming still as like the the, the one of the best actors, I think. And then uh it's just really good. You know, it's it's just like Parasite does. It's got some strong anti-capitalist themes, I would say. I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. So I would check it out. Way better movie than the menu. Okay. And I and I'd be very interested to talk to you about Snowpiercer also. Okay. Bet. So my something interesting is that I actually saw a movie this week. You keep is asking it No, it's <laughs> that not. Would be pretty you funny. keep asking me about movies and I'm like, dude, I don't even remember the last time I saw a movie. Not because I don't want to, but I just don't have the time. Yeah, you probably still haven't seen Ant-Man either, have you? It was Ant-Man that I saw. Was it? Yeah. Oh, well, it's been out for long enough that we could spoil it at this point, I think. Yeah. Okay. okay we'll we'll do spoilers. So what did you think? Dude. I did not like it. It, Very, very, very little of it worked for me. I had so many problems. And like whenever people ask me like about it, I've gotten in this bad habit of I'll spill all of my problems. And I just word vomit for like 10 minutes more than they wanted (laughs) to hear. So, okay, well, where do you think it's going from here? Can we, I guess I want to know, I want to know what you didn't like about it, but I also just want to know how you think the Marvel universe will go after it because a lot happened, obviously. Did it? Um, I think so. What did you like about it? I, I, I didn't think it was perfect, but I, I did think it was probably the best of the, like, new new of these phase marvel movies i think it's better than like thor and doctor strange and the spider-man where all the spider-men came back that i'm a hater on because i didn't like love that movie i know (laughs) um i thought it was better than all of those we're gonna have to talk about that at some point i Um, know so okay where it depending on where they go with like the Kang dynasty, this could end up being like an age of Ultron thing where a few years later we look back and we say, Oh, that actually did, you know, put some things into place that ended up being important and 
retroactively, it's a better movie. But I didn't like, first of all, so Ant-Man's whole power, like the cool thing about it visually is when he shrinks down to the size of a pencil, you're like, oh, I understand how small that is. When he gets grows the size of a bus, you're like, I understand how small that is. When he's he's in the quantum realm, so all the space is like kind of when he's meaningless surrounded by like plasma plants and he shrinks or grows. You're like, I have no sense of scale. Yeah. There was the, there's one scene where he and his daughter are both supposed to be like giants. And they're like, this is like hugging Godzilla. And it's like, this just looks like two people hugging. Exactly. There's nothing for, we have no, you know, it doesn't look at all like you guys are two like giant people. Yeah. So, um, I definitely think you're right about that, about the shrinking and growing in the quantum realm. It just isn't so as like cinematic or cool. So scale is a problem. And then uh, stakes like for future movies. I feel like if you're doing a series, like a, a trilogy or a series of ongoing movies or whatever, you have to, keep the stakes high so things feel like they matter the biggest moment that like resonated with fans in the history of the marvel movies is like thanos snapping and winning and like everyone's favorite movie of the original star wars trilogy is empire strikes back because the bad guys win and it's like you leading it in an ant-man movie that's about to lead into two back-to-back avengers movies you could have had kang win you didn't yeah. have to have him get yeah. beat by just a pathetic rebellion and the ant people. Yeah. Like I would have even been fine with them killing Ant-Man. Yeah. I, um, it's, that is like the other, if I could make a change, that is what I would have had happen. I, I think Scott either should have died or I think Scott's daughter maybe should have even died um they wouldn't have because done that. I, I i do think that they needed to give this some stakes <laughs> or you know have them be stuck in the quantum realm scott and hope at the end you know they kind of like because she comes back out and and they aren't able to get through the tunnel because they're like stopping kang from getting through and have them be stuck down there but instead his daughter just immediately opens up another portal and gets them back and that's I mean, I it was by cheap. no means thought that it was a perfect movie, and there's definitely things things that I would change. Um, but I had fun with it, and I think that, um, I think that this Kang is not defeated. Like we didn't see him die. So well, I should hope so back because they they talked him up to be the biggest baddest Kang of them all. He's the one <clears throat> they had to exile because all yeah. the others are scared of him. So and if I they had just defeated, be, if they yeah. had defeated like the weakest Kang out of millions of them and it took a lot of effort and the the real Kang is out there somewhere on the horizon that they have to worry about, that would have maybe been cool. But now we've set the precedent that the strongest Kang can just be defeated by the power of friendship. <laughs> So did he get lucky though? I mean, he didn't have a ship. He had a suit, but it's not like he was fully powered. Um, but I don't think he's been defeated. 
I mean, I actually think that that Kang is going to be the one who ends up in Loki as like he who remains. And I am. Have you seen Loki? I have. I am guessing that. And I said this when I left the theater with my brother and sister. And I've seen recently that this theory is starting to pop up a little in the like zeitgeist. But I think that wherever he ends up going, because he got sucked into his little tunnel, that's where he's going to meet Eliath, the big like monster that can destroy realities in Loki that we meet. And that's how he's now going to like control all the timelines is because in Loki, he says he found Eliath. And then because of Eliath, he was able to win like the multiversal war. So I'm just guessing that that we are watching his story happen that he's already told us is going to happen. The only thing that doesn't make sense with that is he who remains in Loki does not have scars under his eyes. And the king we just met does. And he got killed. Well, he who remains did. Yeah. But that's after all this has already happened. So I'm saying in he who remains past, this is how he got to the point where he becomes he who remains. He got exiled. Then he fought Ant-Man and got sent to this thing. And then he encountered Eliath. And then he was able to win the multiversal war and set up the TVA and become he who remains. And then eventually he'll get killed again and everything will start over. I think it's just easier if they're different versions. <laughs> Cause then that would even make it more pathetic that like, dude, this is like supposed to be the Avengers level threat. And he got beat by the Ant-Man, Ant-Man. family and Loki. Yeah. I do think, if we do see this Kang again, one of the first thing he's one of the first things he's going to do is he's going to kill Scott, and it's going to happen pretty fast and Good. pretty brutally. I I mean I was fully prepared for Ant Man to die in this one, and I think something should have happened to put some stakes in it, like you said. Yeah, and then another thing, I'm I'll be done after this. It took a lot of really cool concepts or things that could have been saved for future movies and it wasted them here. So like they're going to start making fantastic four movies. The fantastic four are going to have to go to the negative zone. What is the negative zone going to look like that doesn't feel like a redundancy from the quantum realm? People are going to think like, well, wouldn't they have to do that in the comics also? Yeah, but the negative zone is supposed to be the more important one. It's not like, you know, like that was the big reveal in the comics was, wow, we found the negative zone. And then it's like no one was reading Ant-Man. No one like the quantum realm came way later that it was it was like a poor man's copy of the negative zone. But now the movies, it's going to feel the other way around and it almost makes it to where fantastic four can't make a negative zone movie or if they do it'll they have to make it something completely different and yeah, then I'm, I'm i'm curious how a fantastic four movie will eventually go because the ones in the past have just not been very great and i don't those characters don't 
excite me at all because my only experience with them is from those movies that weren't great and they were kind of boring. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people are going to feel that way. And there's nothing interesting about a guy that can just stretch out really far. I don't care about him at all. His power isn't that he can stretch really far. It's that he has He's so smart, the most powerful mind in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. And well, they'll have to do a good job of making a movie. That's good. You know? Yeah. I don't think that they've done that yet for fantastic four. I think it's a mistake that they're making a secret wars movie before they make a fantastic four movie. Cause Dr. In, Doom's supposed to be the bad guy, right? He, yeah. And Hickman's um, Secret Wars is like a love letter to like 50 years of the Fantastic Four. Like it's it's about the whole Marvel Universe, but you can tell the way he thinks of the Marvel Universe is like, oh, it's the Fantastic Four's world and everyone else is just living in it. Hmm. And that's what they're adapting without the Fantastic Four. I've been thinking of that I should probably pick up Secret Wars and read it just because it's coming up in the Marvel universe and I've heard so much about it. And that was one of the first things I did when I got Marvel unlimited and it was not an easy task. I think it's just huge. Um, The entire company shut down for an entire summer and canceled all of their books and just did secret wars tie-ins. So if you if you go to like the Secret Wars like reading guide or whatever, it'll give you like 300 comics or something insane. And you just oh, wow. the only way to do it is to read like the main series and then pick out whichever tie-ins interest you. Yeah. Well, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll watch a YouTube video about it. But it's worth <laughs> at least read you can at least read the main books. Yeah. And get the whole story. And there's only like five or six of them. But and there's some really good. Well, I bet you and I can do that when the movie's coming out. We could. That's a couple of years down the road. I will say Secret Wars gave us one of my favorite Spider-Man stories ever. And it's only like five issues. Oh, we'll have to. Yeah. But then, oh, the other thing that Ant-Man ruined you might not have even noticed because it was such a, like a minor thing. They stole the fastball special from the X-Men. So now when they have X-Men normally, like because Wolverine is so small, they'll have like the powerhouse of the team, which is usually like Colossus throw him. And then you have a Wolverine with his claws out coming right at your face. Oh yeah. And like, they just did that with the ant people. And I'm like, now it's ant people. Like Ant Man and Wasp, but where did what do you, where did they do that? Who did in, that in the final battle against Kang? Like when they're like doing a siege on the tower or whatever. Um, I want to say it was Wasp that was like giant, and she threw Ant Man. Oh, <laughs> I didn't notice that but I'm salty at them for stealing the fireballs special. It's, it seems like not that big of a deal, but like it's specifically such an X-Men thing. Well, I'm pretty sure I even remember that from like the X-Men X-Men three, maybe or something. I mean, 
Wolverine's always flying at people with his claws out. <laughs> but it's funnier when his teammate throws him. Like it's just it shows yeah. good teamwork and it's yeah. it's been their thing for, you know, 30 years. It's like, why would someone steal that? Yeah. Probably longer than 30 at this point. How Claremont, whenever Claire, you know, however long ago that was. I'm shaking my head because I have no idea. Yeah. Anyways, rant over. Oh well, that was good. I I, I enjoy talking about all the <laughs> all those Marvel movies and all the new stuff. Yeah, I, I liked it. I like Kang. Jonathan Majors is great. He'll do good it, in it. He was. He was the bright spot. Yeah, definitely. I just wish you know he had won, or they had been more kind to his character. <laughs> I can't believe that he didn't. I am. I'm actually kind of surprised. But he's. Him losing to them is like the 2007 Patriots losing to the New York Giants. Like when he got beat by freaking Ant-Man and his daughter and like even Modoc was absolutely nothing. Like Modoc couldn't <laughs> couldn't kill a teenage girl running away for 30 minutes. I'm like, yeah. this is exactly like losing not one, but two Super Bowls to Eli Manning. <laughs> That that was frustrating. All of the scenes where he's supposed to be this like ultimate killing machine and she's just slowly running around corners and he's just missing every shot he's taking, you know, and it's it's very like stormtrooper aim. Yeah. The point of Modoc is that you create a villain that's terrifying despite his appearance looking like a joke when you make him look like a joke and he is a joke, it's, it's nothing special. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I kind of liked that. I, I, I didn't really like him the whole movie. Um, he just wasn't doing it for me. And then his very, his death scene where he's like, (laughs) I always wanted to die an Avenger that legitimately got a pretty good laugh out of me. It really caught me off guard. I thought, and I was like, that's funny. Okay. I was too irritated to laugh. (laughs) I was sometimes like that. Yeah. Uh, All right. What you got anything else? Should we, should we call it? That was, that was it for me. I came in with my one something else. And I I even, I even uh, made sure to leave it in the chamber when we were talking about Marvel movies at the beginning of the podcast. I'm glad. Um, So what do we have next week? Next week. Glad you asked doing something special, doing something different. We've been talking about it for a few weeks. We are going to read issues one through three of the ultimates. Oh, that's why we get captain America. It's not because he's in the next two issues of Spider-Man. It's because we're doing the ultimates. Yep. So if you wanted more Nick Fury, that's also a good way to do it. Oh, this is great. The ultimates issue one through three. Yep. Okay. That's perfect. I'm excited. I am too. All right. Well, is that it? I think that's it. Well, Zach, this was fun as always. And thank you to Ian Hickey for the music and Alyssa Seaman for the artwork. And you can find us on Instagram at first read podcast. Swing on by for next week. Webheads. See you, Zach.
Bye. Bye.